Jesus. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful service today. And Brother Mike is going to bring my little humidifier. We need some humidity in this place. Just kidding. I'm going to use this as, for a purpose in my message today. And I, uh, and I really appreciate Brother Mike and, and Brother, was that Austin? Yeah, Austin helping me out. Hallelujah. That's right, Nathan's not here. Hallelujah. God bless him. He's probably at home watching. His back is really hurting him. Let's keep praying for him. Thank you, Jesus. Psalms 90. Psalm 90. And I will begin to read at verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And mind you, let me just say this. Moses is writing this psalm. Now, he's been leading Israel for 40 years through the wilderness. And at this point in his life, he lived 120 before he died. But the last 40 years, he was leading Israel through the wilderness. And so for a couple of decades, he's already been leading the people through the wilderness. And and as he's looking back, he's reflecting on his life and, and the life of Israel going all the way back to Abraham. And, and he's thinking really about how short life is and what they have been through in the last several decades. And then before that, 400 years of, of, of slavery. And so Moses is writing this. Uh, and, uh, and, and remember, there were some things that took place in his life. Uh, in Numbers 20, when you read, look at Numbers 20, Moses wrote that book too, as you know, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses wrote those. And in Numbers chapter 20, that records the numbering of Israel as they came out of Egypt. Amen. There's, there's several things that happened. Three things happened in Numbers chapter 21. Miriam, his oldest sister, died. She was the worship leader. Aaron, the high priest, his older brother, died. And then in Numbers chapter 20, because he disobeyed God out of frustration when God told him, this time I just want you to speak to the rock, not strike it, just speak to it, and water will come out of it. And Moses was so upset and so frustrated by the people and their unbelief and their chiding and their griping and their complaining, he took that rod and forgot what God told him, and wham, he whacked that rock again. And yes, water came out, but God said, because you refused to, to glorify me, you're not going into the promised land. And so he's been marching around for a while yet with the Israelites, realizing he's not going to the promised land, but he's reflecting on his life and, and upon all of Israel, whom, he, whom God chose him to lead. And so he says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return, you children of men. And returning to the dust that you die. It's not returning to God, returning to the dust from whence he was made. Verse 4, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as the watch in the night, thou carriest them away with a flood. They are as a sleep in the morning. They're like grass which groweth up in the morning, it flourisheth and groweth up in the evening, it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. 
For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. That's all those years walking in the wilderness. Condemned them for 40 years because they refused to go into the promised land by faith. They thought there were giants in the lands and God couldn't do it. God couldn't bring them in. I said, forget you. Everybody above the age of 20 is going to have to march in the wilderness till you all die. Then I'll take your children in. And that's why they were running for 40 years. So Moses talking about this. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. You're mad at us for all these 40 years. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days, now this is what I want you to focus on because this is where I'm preaching from. The days of our years are three score years and ten. Three score or score is 20. So three times score, three times 20 is 60 and 10, that's 70. So the average lifespan is 70 years. Now Moses didn't say that, believe it or not, the writers and the scholars of, of the ancient times also believe that people basically live on an average, a ratio of not 70 year period. And so it says, uh, if by reason of, let's see, uh, the days of our years are three score years and 10. And if by reason of strength, they may be four score years or 80 years. Yet is their strength, labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee or change your mind concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. No matter how much in rebellion we have lived our life in church, out of church, hallelujah, it is only God's mercy that can save us. It's only God's mercy that he can set us right back to where we need to be. Can you say praise the Lord? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words and indeed help us to commit these words that come directly from you to our hearts and help us, O oh Lord, to pursue after you and to accomplish that and to do by faith what you told us to do. Help us indeed to be mindful of the number of our days and bless your people today with wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. And let the church say together, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. Hallelujah. I'll be standing longer. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you today about the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Life is short, in other words. It's brief. We think it's long, but it really is brief, especially when you look back on it, how long you have lived. Young and old is the same. Life is brief. It's short. Now, I know it's a sobering subject, but you know, the Bible is mostly a sobering book. Uh, levity is good for the soul, but the Bible does have some levity and some, some fun. But for the most part, 99.9% is really sobering thoughts. It has given us the mind of God and the thoughts of God, the plan of God and the ways of God. We can learn a lot from this book simply by reading it and then following its precepts. 
You'll be a different person by following this book and by reading it. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the brevity of life is one of the messages that we can take from the word of God and particularly in this chapter of Psalms 90. Life is brief. We can see from these words that we have read from Moses, the reflection of life in the desert in Moses' own words that describes the plight of several decades of wandering in the wilderness. In all those years that Israel lived, they lived in constant need of refuge and shelter and, and also protection. More than their tents and their armies, Israel had God as their dwelling place, their shelter and their refuge. Out in the desert. Hallelujah. They had no homes. They had no houses. They had tents made of animal skins. They had no land of their own. They traveled to 41 different places in 40 years. Uh, they had to pull up stakes, uh, and their wives, their children, their cattle, their flocks, everything went with them. It was quite a bit of an ordeal. There was no protection, uh, walls of protection around them. They had no real army. They had no real weapons. Uh, they had no grocery stores to go to. God was their refuge. God was their home. God was their strength. God was the protection of armies. Hallelujah. And you know, that's the way it is with you and I today. God is our refuge. Israel didn't have a permanent home yet, but they weren't homeless. And really, that's the same way with all of us Christians. We may not have the kind of home we think, but we've got shelter, we got a home. More than that, spiritual speaking, if, if, if you're, you're walking with God, you're, you're, you're never a homeless person. You may not have a house to live in, but we have our home in him. We have a dwelling place in him. Hallelujah. A home should be a place of rest. It should be a place of shelter. It should be a place where we can be ourselves and we can rest. It should be a place of love and happiness and a place that, that all these good things dominates the atmosphere. And all of this should mark our relationship with God. And if you have this kind of relationship with God, you're not homeless. I said, if you've got that kind of relationship with God, you're not homeless, period. Because our refuge and our shelter is in him. Hallelujah. I know a lot of people out there today looking for shelter, but they're looking in the wrong place. They need to find their place of shelter in the arms of God. When you get in the arms of God, God will provide for you as heavenly father. Amen. He is your shelter. He is your refuge. He can be your provider as well. But in verse 10 through 12, especially, we read about the brevity of life. And now we know Moses lived to be 120 years old, the Bible tells us. But quite possibly when he wrote this, he was around at least 100, maybe 110 years old, maybe even older. We're not told that. But Moses, again, is reflecting on his life and the life of Israel. And, and he says, you know, even though I lived so long, I've seen a lot of things. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, think about this. He lived 120 days. Now, something I did not read to you, but when you get to uh, Deuteronomy at the end of uh, the book, it tells us that when Moses died, he was 120 years old. And it says that his, his eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated, which means his eyes were clear, 20-20 vision. He didn't need glasses. Not that they could make them back then. 
And the Bible says that his natural force was not abated. It means that when he got old, he didn't get decrepit. He didn't need a cane to walk with. He was like he was 25 and 30 years old. Strong and robust. No loss of energy. Now that's divine intervention. Now it doesn't happen with everybody that way. But I, I've known somebody, one of our superintendents, Brother Colthorpe. He was 82 when he passed by last, last year, I believe. He was going to the gym every day. He was strong and healthy. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is even though Moses was, was perfect, a perfect specimen of health and strength, at 120, God says, Moses... Come up to the mountain because it's time for you to die. See, it's appointed unto man to die but once and then judgment. Your time of death is appointed by God. That's the same thing with Moses. We're all in the same boat here. He lived 120. I don't know what your age is right now. If you go to, to live to 120, I guarantee it's not going to be like Moses. I don't know too many people like, like Moses. But he had to die. And what I'm saying to you today is that every one of us here has an appointment with death. That's sobering. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. It doesn't matter how healthy or how sick you are. One day you will die. God ordained it. And so Moses knew that. And it was before God told him, come up to the mountain because you're going to die. The Bible then says that God buried him because he was so popular. God didn't want people to build a shrine around his graveyard and make an idol out of it. He said, teach us to number our days, Moses said, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Notice it says numbering your days, not your weeks, your months, your years. One day at a time. This day today is the most important day of your life and mine. Teach us to number our days. Do you number your days? Do we number our days? Do we think like this? We should. I think some of us don't because we think it's too morbid. But every day is important. Moses said that even if you live to be 70 or 80 years old, you're likely to have struggles and troubles. And difficulties, and so it is. Even Solomon says so in Ecclesiastes 12. Read about old age, what we can expect. It's ordained by God. So don't be upset. God told you up front what this life is all about. You just don't want to accept it. Now, I believe God's a healer, but I've never seen God heal anybody of old age. Well, thank you, Jesus. But but we're, we're all in this thing together. We all go through the same thing, this same process and this, this brevity. We're, we're, our life is short. Doesn't matter how long you live compared to eternity and, and God. Our life is just brief and it's short. Hallelujah. I got to turn this thing on. I knew I was dry. Hallelujah. Can you see that coming up? Anybody see that? Yeah, hallelujah. It's a humidifier. Mm. But I know that life is short. And now in the 21st century especially, I know that uh, it seems like time has sped up. And, uh, and we are running to and fro. Nahum, the prophet, prophesied about this in the, in the Old Testament, you know, that we're going to have chariots and, and we just 
zoom speeding every which way. He couldn't describe cars, but he knew he saw that vision of our day to day. People running to and fro, don't even know where they're going, and they don't know what to do when they get there. That's the kind of atmosphere we live in today. Interstate 70, going out to St. Charles. I hate doing that route. I have encountered so many race cars. People ride 100 miles an hour. They're going like this, and I'm holding on like this. Not because I don't know how to drive at that speed zero, how to avoid them. But these guys don't care. They're daredevils. If you go out that way in Interstate 7 and from the airport and before that, beyond that, out to St. Charles, look out. I'm telling you, you got to pray through. Mm. Praise God. Holding on the wheel. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Break forth in tongues. But you know, in Jesus' day, the fastest anybody could go was as fast as a horse could run. And that was that way for thousands of years. And then, by 1830, we developed a steam engine. And from that, we created a locomotive, a a train that that pulled trains. And it it wasn't fast, but it was faster than a horse for the first time. And people were scared to death to get on it because they thought that you couldn't survive and live going that fast. Really? Really? And then in 1910, we built a military aircraft that could fly, da-da, 42 miles an hour. That was 1910. Almost everyone in that day was still traveling with a horse and buggy. But in, and then in May, as, as technology developed and, and more modern aircraft were created, then had the single wing, fixed wing aircraft. 1927, May of that year, Charles Lindbergh flew the first transatlantic flight from Long Island, New York to Paris, France. First time ever in 33 hours by himself. 33 hours. I don't know if you've ever been on a plane for 33 hours. The longest I've been, I think, is 14 to 16 hours. And I'm telling you, I'm on a modern jet. That's a long flight. And he didn't have the chance to get up out of that cockpit and move around. I know I did. When we flew from, from Newark, New Jersey, I flew to Asia, to China, and to, and to Japan. That was a long flight, Brother Back. You lived in Japan for a while. It took, it took a long time. And I, I'd get up and I'd wear my compression socks and I'd go around in the, in the Bay Area. I'd do my exercises. Now, if you go on a long flight, you better get out of your seat and start doing that stuff. And the older you are, the more likely you know, that you should do that. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, but you know what? I wasn't alone. I had a lot of people, man, we're taking turns like a gymnasium back there. You know. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not doing our, you know, push up, you know. It's important, though. But this guy flew 33 hours by himself in that plane called the Spirit of St. Louis. And by the way, a, an exact replica of this hangs today in St. Louis Terminal 1 of Lambert Airport. Do you want to see it? Don't cost you a dime. You go in the terminal, go in and see that thing hanging there. Hallelujah. To remind us of what happened on May, in May 1927. And you know, that's not even 100 years ago. First time that man ever crossed Atlantic in one singular flight. That opened up the door to others and greater airplanes, faster airplanes to be built. 
1960, then, we began flying to outer space. And we began to send men to outer space to the Mercury and the Gemini programs. As a kid, I was fascinated by that. I was in America already. I was watching it happen. Every time they had a launch, I tried to get near a TV to watch that thing launch. It's amazing. And you know, the amazing thing is when they went into the Earth's atmosphere, that, that rocket went with like a slingshot effect from the Earth 18,000 miles an hour. 18,000 miles an hour. And imagine, that, that's just in, in not even, uh, what is it? Not even 1910, uh, not even about 50 years later after we built the first military aircraft. 18,000. And then we went into the moon landing program, the Apollo program. And, uh, you know, three men in a capsule. Oh, I was so fascinated by that. And we built a, a rocket ship, the Saturn V rocket. It was the biggest rocket that man has ever built. And when it was, uh, it was sent out of the Earth's orbit. And the first time we did in 1968, we sent three men to the moon to practice the, the, the process of going to the moon and then going into orbit around there and then coming back to the earth to, to, to see that, that if we could do that. And indeed, they proved that we could. And so these three men, you know, went on that Saturn V rocket and they were first put into orbit around the earth. And when we were, you know, when they started the engines again and they, they left earth's orbit to go towards the moon, the earth is spinning, you know, like the earth is spinning like a thousand miles an hour on, on its, at the equator. It's a thousand miles an hour. And that, that, that slingshot effect of that rocket, their rocket reached around 25,000 miles an hour. And when engines are shut off, and then, of course, for three days, they just float from that, you know, inertia. And then the moon's gravity takes over and pulls it, and it saves gas. <laughs> It does. So they got an orbit, slowed down, and came back the same way. 25,000 miles an hour is what I'm telling you. And, and now we have these, these hypersonic missiles that they, they are developing, uh, going five, four, five times the speed of sound. It's absolutely amazing what, what they can do. Uh, but we're trying to, to, to live and adjust our lives in this 21st century with, with everything so fast, so, so fast track, and you're having a hard time. And really, our mindset is still really, spiritually speaking at least anyway, is really a horse and buggy time. And there's nothing wrong with that. We got to have, have biblical principles. Uh, but the bottom line is that no matter how fast time seemingly is going and spinning out of control, our life is still short. And all of the convenience and all the developments and technology and all that, everything that we have seems like it has made more time for us to do other things. And actually, we seem to have less time today than we've ever had before. We're racing to get everything done that we need to get done in a day, let alone in a week. How much longer do we have? I don't know. When's the Lord coming back? I don't know. But I know that this is the generation that will see his return. We see all the signs around us, and that's not what my message is about today. 
But either way, we don't have much time, whether living our life on the earth in a physical sense or when Jesus comes back and sounds the trumpet and we're out of here in spiritual transformation, glorification instantly. But we learn from Scripture that time is not on our side. Time is not on our side. Listen to Psalm 102, verse 11 and 12. My days are like a shadow that declineth. You know, the sun was going, they have the shadow, the clocks, you know. Uh, and, and the sundial would, would shine on the thing. And, and when the sun would go down, that shadow of it, you know, would also fade away. So that's what it's talking about. My days are like a shadow that declineth. And I am withered like grass, but thou, O Lord, shall endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. You and I are going to the way of all nature. We come and we go. We born and we die. And only God remains. He's the only thing that endures. And that's why we've got to latch on to him. Psalm 39, 5, listen to what David says. Behold, thou hast made my days a hand breath. And my age is as nothing before thee. And every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Now, hand breath in ancient Israel was the, was the shortest unit of measurement that they used. It's very tiny. And what Moses, it's actually uh, David was saying in Psalm 39.5, my days of life is, is compared to eternity is, is like a hand breadth. It's nothing. It's like an inch on the scale. Psalm 90 verse 4, this psalm we just read, Moses mentioned for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. A watch is three hours. A watch was guard duty. And so if you go from 6 o'clock in the morning to 9, that's three hours. That's the first watch. The second watch is 9 to 12. The third watch is from 12 to 3. The fourth is from 3 to 6. And so on in the evening. Same time, the evening watch, the night watch. 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6. A watch is but three hours. And, and, and the psalmist said, my life is but, but a three-hour watch. It's so, so narrow. It's so small. It's so limited. 2 Peter 3.8 in the New Testament says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. It doesn't say, say that with God a thousand years is a day. No, sir. It's as. A day is as a thousand years, as a thousand years, from God's eternal perspective. Isaiah 40, 22 says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Listen, our life is nothing but the hand breath. It's a declining shadow. We're just people running all around on this good old earth. And none of us will be here in about 80 or 90 years from now. Look around you here. There's not one in here. Not one of us will be here 80 or 90 years from now. You may think you're going to live forever in this flesh. Uh-uh. How many great-grandparents are alive? Older ones. Look around. Why aren't they here? Because the word of God declares our lifespan, the average, to be 70 or 80 years. 
And it's the same with you. What makes you think that your life is different? What makes you think that you are the exception to the rule that you're going to live in this life healthy, wealthy, and wise forever? You and I won't. The scripture declares it so. All of us are headed toward death. But the question is, in wisdom, what will you do with the time that you have left? Everyone only has so much time in a day. You know how many minutes there are in a day? 1,440. It's only 168 hours in a week. Time is very fair. Everybody has the same amount. Every human being has the same amount. Nobody gets more, nobody gets less. What do we do with that time? How do we utilize it? What are you going to do with those hours and minutes and days? See, if you live to be 70, the first 15 years of your life will be spent in childhood and adolescence. It's growing up. And you will spend about 20 years of your life sleeping in bed. Some people, like teenagers, spend more, especially at summer break and vacation. That's all right. But 20 years sleeping. Then the last five years of your life, you'll probably curtail your activities because of ailments and physical limitations. You're not able to do as much as you could when you were younger. Just look around and ask the older people. See if they're still playing football. <laughs> See if they're still skating with roller skates and ice skates. Hmm. That means that you add it all, 15 years in child adolescence, 20 years sleeping, five years in, you know, in, in, in older age with physical limitations. That's, that's uh, 35, 40 years of your life. That means you really have only about 30 years left on there. 30 years to do something productive and concrete and something that will last forever. And you still have to eat and drink. Still have to work. You have to watch television and play video games, right? You have to learn how to operate a computer and a smartphone. And you got to go to college for that. Basically. I'm still learning. I'm still in school. Hallelujah. But James, the apostle in New Testament, chapter 414, asked this question. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. What's tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanishes away. See this vapor? The Bible says in James, this is what a life is like. Just like this. It's generating steam and we're expending energy and we're running to and fro, coming and going and doing and busy having a family and, and getting married and, and having a job and amassing wealth and whatever we can for retirement. And no matter what happens at a certain time,
when you draw your last breath, where's your life? Where did it go? What's left? James says, that's what our life is like. The oldest of us don't have very long. But it's all in God's hands. And we have to realize that. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. Your days are numbered and the time of your departure is appointed. God has it on the calendar. The date is already set and he could call you home by an accident, by, by heart attack, by cancer. Oh, yes, God will accept you with cancer. Look at Lazarus with sores all over his body. He went and died and, and, and went right to the bosom of Abraham. He was, he was in heaven in a sick condition, but he was healed when he got there. You can go to heaven sick. You just can't go to heaven with sin in your heart. You've got to deal with your sin. And so after we die, we, we go before God and eventually we'll stand before him in judgment. And we'll have to answer as to what you did with your life. A record of what you did with the message of the gospel when you heard it and how you responded is going to be there. And also what you did to deal with the sin in your life. So Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And all of us have that disease. All of us have that sickness and that problem. Every one of us are sinners. But we can be saved by grace and responding to the grace of God in faith and and, the, and if, if you haven't repented of your sins or been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sin, and if you haven't received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as initial evidence, when you get before God, if you haven't done that, he will say to you as he will to many others, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So again, the scripture says, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. See, numbering our days helps us to consider and understand this brevity of life. Numbering our life, our days of our life. And of all the mathematical exercises, this is one of the most difficult activities that mankind can do. See, man can count the number of herds of cattle and sheep and oxen and swine. They can count stocks and they can count the number of their wealth. They can number coins and dollars. And, 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 and yet, they never take time to number their days because they think that their days on earth is infinite in number, innumerable. So Moses asked God, teach us. In other words, this kind of wisdom must be learned. As a Christian, we've got to learn to number our days. Wisdom does not come automatically. That's why most people live in their lives unaware of, of how short life is and that our days are numbered. And all of a sudden, we hit 69 and 70. We say, whoa, where did it all go? Believe it, it, it happens to most everyone because we're so busy. 
We're not counting today. All we count is make sure we got enough money in our pocket, make sure we have money for what we need, and yet we forget that we only have so much time. And we never take stock. Young people especially, they, they think that their days have no number and therefore they give little thought to what, what goes on in their life and what happens beyond this life. Right. Young people, you got to take note. Right. Understand, your life here is not forever. Yeah. I've seen many young people called home and their life cut short. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm, again, I'm trying to put some, some sobriety into your thinking. Because this world would try to razzle and dazzle, would like to, to bring all kinds of shiny things before us and make us forget what life is really about. It's not about video games, it's just fun and food. It's not about friendship, it's not about a moral lifestyle. It's, it's, it's not fulfilling our pleasures and everything is fine. Then No, no, no. There is a purpose to our life and we only have so much time to find out what that is. Learning to number of days will give us that heart of wisdom. And you can start having that by, by, by taking the average of 70 years and counting how many years you have left. If you're 15 years old, just look and say, well, you know, I, I may have 70 years. Maybe. Some go sooner. But on the average, I, I can maybe look to 70 years, and I'm 15 years old now. That means I have 55 years to do something with my life. And remember, some of it you have to sleep away. Some of it you have other things that you've got to do. And when you get towards the end of your life, you're going to have five years of difficulties and restraints because of your ailments and because of your limitations of physical activity. So you have less than 55. And if Jesus comes back tomorrow, you're going to have none of that. And so, if you live 15 years, well, you got 55 years. If you're already 70, then subtract your 70 from 80. So, well, I might have up to 80 years. And maybe here I have 10 more years. But I'm limited on what I can do. What should I do with those 10 years if I have it? And if you're 80 years old plus, well... You're living on borrowed time. Amen. Amen. That means you can go any day. Now that's sobering, but that's, the, that's what it should be. Because in every year, every age, we need to be ready to meet the Lord. And the closer you are to those upper years, the closer you are to departure. And you, you, you can't just deny it. So, well, I'm, I'm not going to think about it. You better think about it. Amen. You better be ready because you're going to stand before God and have to give an account of what you did with the time that he gave you. You got extra time? Make, it, make good use of it. I pray and ask to God to give you that purpose and, and, and work that, that you have yet to finish. See, when, when you're constantly aware of the brevity of life, that, that one day you'll die and you'll stand before God to give an account of your life, it should give you pause to consider your plans right. and in your actions. It will help us to learn to live for eternity so that we can die in peace with the favor of God and live in eternity. Yeah. So the Bible tells us to redeem the time. It's a financial term. It means to buy back. 
Let me read you Ephesians 5, 15 through 19. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, those who number, in other words. Don't live as fools, but wise. How do fools live? They don't number their days. They don't take, take stock of how much time they have left. But be wise, those that number, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what the will of God for your life is as a Christian? Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excessive living, wherein is excess. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. How do you redeem the time? By living your life with purpose. By living intentionally for God. That's how you redeem it. You buy it back. You buy back time by using your time wisely. The price that you pay for that time is that you have no time for certain things, uh, for things that are vanity and amount to nothing. So something that doesn't produce anything for the kingdom. That is vanity. You don't need to engage in that kind of an activity. Right. Got to make most of your time. It means not living haphazardly. Not living without thought without planning, without drifting. I mean, it's, 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 you don't want to be drifting on, on the sea of life without purpose. A wise child of the kingdom of God, we don't engage in drinking and partying and getting high. We don't go carousing. We don't go bar hopping. Hello? We don't engage in, nor do we pursue immoral lifestyles. We don't live our life to fill selfish, carnal pleasures. We live for him. We present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Holy, acceptable, which is a reasonable service. That's what we're called to do. That's the purpose of your life. That's why God created you. And God is calling you that kind of a lifestyle because any other lifestyle is vanity. Poof, it disappears and yet none of it back. So the Bible exhorts us to stay filled with the Spirit. We shout and we sing and we dance around like we did this morning. Praise the name of the Lord. And we speak to ourselves in a godly manner, praising God. We don't cuss and fuss. Hallelujah. We obey the greatest commandment by loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray and we reach for the lost of our city. And we share the gospel message with all who listen. We'll go to all nations and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to obey and observe all the commandments that God taught us in Jesus' name. And that's how we live our life with a purpose because whatever time that you spend working for Jesus and his kingdom you'll get it all back in eternity you don't get anything back living for yourself you don't get any eternal time back for living a life of righteous living and, and drinking carousing and, and doing all that stuff uh uh that perishes Redeeming the time, you, you get blessings. You, you, get, you get it all back in eternity when you live right. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting you today that your life must be carefully planned. Yes. You must yield your life to the perfect will of God for you. That means you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ first. And then you will begin to understand with King David as he said in Psalms 31:15, My times are in thy hand. Hallelujah. 
My times are in thy hand. Lord, I commit my life. I commit my times. Everything I have, I'm serving. You know why he became king? Because God called him to be king. Yes. The Bible called us to be kings and priests in his kingdom. And if our time, if we commit our time to him, then his perfect will can be accomplished in you and in me, young and old. It doesn't matter who you are. We got to look to Jesus as our example. He lived his life with purpose. Remember at the age of 12, he already knew what his purpose was. And, and he hung back in Jerusalem and, and Mary and Joseph were looking for him. Three days they finally found him and he said, what is this you've done to us? We've been worrying about you. We're worried sick. He said, how is it you're worried about me? Don't you know that I must be busy about my father's business? You can, young person, I'm speaking to some teen teenagers here today. You can know what the will of God is for your life. And you can plan ahead right now to do whatever God calls you to do uh, and carry it out with some wise counsel of people who have spiritual authority over your life. Let them speak in your life. Straighten your life out. Uh, align yourself with the will of God and God can do great things through you. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus said this, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Hallelujah. There will come a time when you will not be able to serve Jesus. You got to serve him while you can. Serve him while you got time, before your time runs out. You got to put God first in your life and you'll be able to say with Jesus, like he said in John 17, 4, that's his last prayer on earth for his disciples. He says, I have glorified thee, speaking to the Father, the Spirit. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, Jesus had a work to do. Paul, the apostle, had a work to do. At the end of his life, amen, we see that he lived his life with purpose as God called him. At the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. See, God has a plan for your life. And he can help you finish it if you just put your confidence in him. And it's also give you peace and joy that you never knew that, knew that even existed. You can do the will of God. And life may be short, but I want to encourage you that a great deal can be done a short time with God's help. You may think that you have wasted a lot of your time. Maybe many of us have. But can I tell you, you can redeem that time by turning your life over to Jesus now and yield to his will. He can do a lot in just a short period of time. Oh, yes, he can. Can I tell you that Jesus established the foundation of his church in three and a half years? And then after he was gone and crucified, he left it in the hands of a few followers. And it's three years of time after the church, thousands of people were baptizing Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost in a rapid, short amount of time. And then when his job, his task, his work was accomplished in three and a half years, he says on the course, it is finished. And there, imagine this. There still were a lot of people that needed healing. A lot of people still needed their lives to be touched. 
A lot of lives still needed to be turned around, but he finished the work that he was assigned to him. And that's the important thing. And Jesus, our example, what is it that God has assigned to you to do? What have you to do in your life? You may not, you, you don't have to care about what, what somebody else is doing. It's about you. What are you going to do with the time that God has given you? What is your purpose? What is your calling? What has God given you to do? And then take your time and energy and live with intentionality, care planfully, and go for it. Give it everything you've got, and God's going to bless you. You're going to redeem your time. You're going to go to turn to stand before God. Hallelujah. He's going to honor you and bless you. He said, enter into my kingdom, you faithful, blessed servant of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, the work that God has given you is special. It's only to you. Nobody could do the work that Jesus could do, and nobody can do the work that you could do. You are special. You're unique. Nobody else can do what God has given you to do. And that's why it's important to fulfill it. Now, even as our time is short, and my time is getting shorter, it's also running out for the world. We know we're living in the last days. In fact, we read in Ephesians 5 that the days are evil. So live wisely. Be wise, not as fools. The days are evil. Indeed, we're in the last days and we're foretold by Jesus. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, 94 verses, he spent time with his disciples telling them that, that in the last days, it's going to be evil. He told them what the end of the age, the end of time is going to be all around for, for us, the end of time for the church. In Revelation 12, we're told that there will be a frantically active evil in these last days because the devil knows that he hath but a short time. So we're so close. And with all this fuss and all this evil, all this shootings and killing and murder and wars and rumors of wars, all this take, you know what? It's increasing more than ever before. Not just because we're aware of it more through internet and everything else. No, no, no. In, 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 innumerably, it is so much worse than it's ever been. But Jesus said it was in the time of days of Noah, so shall come be in the coming of the Son of Man. Be, amen, like the days of Noah. There was, people were corrupt. There was violence that filled the earth. And that's where we at now. But more than ever before, it's the end of the age. And it's that way because the devil knows about a short time. He's trying to take as many people with him into his kingdom of hell than God is trying to take into the kingdom of heaven. So there's a real devil. I think you know that. Lucifer, Satan, Slewfoot by name. His fellow fallen angels, the demons, they're all surreal and they're here too to do battle for your souls. There's the, the devil's here right now and they're, and they're sitting on your shoulders, some of you, trying to keep you from lining yourself up with the will of God. But fortunately, God has given every one of us the right to choose whom we shall serve. Praise God. God wants you in his kingdom. So choose him today. Praise God. Stand with me if you will, Andrea, if you'll come to the music. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? There is a Lamb's book of life. It's a record of who was born again and who wasn't. 
If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're not going to heaven. Can I be any more direct than that? The Bible is. That's sobering. Your name is in a book, though. It's where all your sins are listed under your name. All your thoughts and intents of your heart. Every action, every behavior, everything that's contrary to the nature of God. It's got it recorded. And will face you in judgment. It's in a book of sins. Bible tells in Revelation 20, the books will be opened and another book. The books, the Bible is what judges us all, judges our works. There's the books there, amen. That, and I'm not saying, I, I believe this is figurative, it's not literal. God doesn't need a book. He knows everything from A to Z. He don't have any memory loss and he don't have to take prevention. He's got it all. He's, every one of us. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows you. And he's got everything in his memory banks about every last one of us that has ever lived. But he uses the term figuratively to give us understanding that he has recorded what we have done. Quick example, I remember when Israel first had his first king, Saul. And he remembered how, you know, in time of, of Joshua and Moses, where Israel coming out of Egypt, the Amalekite tribe attacked Israel in the rear, where the children were and the elderly. And they fought all day long. They had nearly lost that battle. It was that, it was that heavy. And Moses was told by God, get a pen and write it down. For I'm going to have war with Amalek and I'm going, to, I'm going to come to time when Israel's strong and I'm going to come back and wipe out every one of them. 400 years later. See, God's memory is not like ours. When Israel finally made it to the promised land and they got a kingdom, they got a king, the first thing he tells the king, I remember what Amalek did when Israel came out of Egypt. You think God has a problem with memory? He won't have a problem remembering everything you and I have done. But it's in a book. It's recorded, in other words. But there's another book. It's the book of life. It's Revelation 13, 8, and Revelation 20, 12. The book of life. If your name is not in that book, I wouldn't live, leave here today without making sure that my name was written in there. Because see, if you're born again, as Jesus said, and as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you what happens. When you obey that command to repent, turn your back on your past life, turn your life over to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus in that lovely warm water back there and the wonderful water repellent clothes that we have for you where you have shower caps and hair dryers everything ready to go amen we can get you baptized in 15 minutes and take care of your sins washed away in water with the name of Jesus called over you and the blood of the lamb applied to your soul and you'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost that's a great experience every one of them repentance baptism receiving the Holy but I'll tell you what else happens when you do that, 
you get baptized, your sins are remitted. God takes that book, He takes that blood, and He goes, Gone. No more sin. No more record. But then He goes and takes another book and writes it down. Puts your name in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. The Bible says your name is in the book. You're coming in. You're going in. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I, I wouldn't leave here today if your Lamb's book of life is not in that name. How to leave your name is not in the Lamb's book. 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, listen, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. Finally, brethren. Behold now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know what day it is? It's your day of salvation. The Bible also says if you hear his voice calling, don't harden your heart. Don't resist. The devil will tell you, go ahead and serve God, but not today. Oh, go ahead and serve him, but not today. Just put it off to tomorrow. Tomorrow becomes next week. Next week becomes next month. Next month becomes next year. And before you know it, you're 70 years old on your deathbed. I wish I would have given my life to God. You don't need to do that. You can start now. You can yield to him. Because I'm telling you that God is here today. And he's calling you. Don't end up like Israel and Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 23... Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what the New Living Translation says, and I'm closing with this. He says this, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. And they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because, get this, you did not recognize it when God visited you. I'm here to tell somebody tonight, this morning, God is here. He's here in a visitation and he's calling many of you to come serve him and to serve him with all your might to come and line up with his will you may not know what that will is this is the place to find it right here in a place an altar of repentance and, and asking God to forgive your sin I ask God I need your help and God, above all things, help me to number my days that I can apply my heart to wisdom that understand I only have so much time left uh, and you've got a will and a plan for my life. Uh, help me, Lord, to ascend to it. Help me to do it because nothing else matters. Uh, otherwise, my life is vanity. It doesn't matter for anything at all. It'll be wasted. Uh, hallelujah. But I don't want to wait until it's too late. I want to do it now while I still got the time. Yes, hallelujah. Oh, oh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to open up these altars right now. Go ahead, church. Sing. Amen. Sing, praise team.